Transgenderism, gender identity disorder, or gender dysphoria is a feeling that a person's biological sex does not match the gender they identify with and or perceive themselves to be. Individuals who identify as transgender often describe themselves as feeling trapped in a body that does not match who they feel they are on the inside. The transgender movement rises and falls upon the idea that gender and sex are two completely different constructs that might be deeply intertwined with one another, but in the end are altogether separate. Sex is a biological construct that is unchanging and based on chromosomes, while gender is a social construct or category, a perception, a feeling, or way of identifying, which is subjective and really more of an experience. Gender has now emerged as a continuum or spectrum where a person can identify themselves as any gender identity. For millennia, human civilization has understood gender as binary. There are men and there are women. But now, some say there are as few as 72 genders, while others say there are an infinite number of genders. But is any of this true? Can a man just decide he's a woman? And that makes him a woman? Can a woman just decide to be a man? And now she's a man. Are gender and sex two completely different constructs? What does the Bible have to say about these ideas? And how can we actually have coherent conversations about these ideas without getting canceled, without resorting to name-calling, mudslinging, or storming out of the room? To the Beards and Bibles podcast. I always wanted to sing jingles. Mm. I think that would be a really catchy jingle. It's a real earworm for you. Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. We got beards and we got Bibles. <laughs> and everything in between. I don't think that would ever take off. Mm. Yeah, I missed my calling, I guess. I should have done uh, been a jingle writer. Yeah. Yeah, hey, there's a really catchy jingle. It's not really that catchy, but it's it makes me laugh every time for Bluebell Ice Cream here in Tennessee. Hmm. You guys have Bluebell Ice Cream in Alabama? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's trying so hard to associate Bluebell Ice Cream with like your family and that beautiful feeling of growing up in the South. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like talking about like summer days or whatever, and then there's the part where he's like, and Mamma used to say, would you kids like some homemade ice cream? And every time I hear it, I almost start to cry because I'm like, I would like some homemade ice cream. And then it's like, bluebell ice cream. And it's just, man. Yeah. It, it almost marketing. gets me. It's yeah. great marketing. And if you live outside of Nashville, I mean, I guess you just have country music woven into every jingle. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I could top that jingle, but maybe someday. Yeah. Yeah. Making me hungry for ice cream now. <laughs> Seven forty-five in the morning. <laughs> so, John, how you doing? Yes, man? I'm doing great, Gabe. I'm doing. Real <laughs> I beat good. you to it. <laughs> you did. I'm doing real good, buddy. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I took a took a week off there from recording with you, and I thought you guys, you and Blair, did a great job talking about Mormonism. And she I listened to it while en route to DC, and uh, oh, I got yeah. to see not while listening to it. That would be weird, but I got to see the huge DC Mormon temple there. Oh wow! And the skyline yet yeah, completely dominates the skylines. 
massive temple church they have there. Wow. It's pretty uh, impressive, some of the architecture they have. But um, mm. So how was D.C.? It was a trip. It was, uh, yeah, I picture driving to D.C. and going in and out of the city multiple times with a family of five, the youngest being five years old. Mm. Um, a lot of different moving parts and uh, a lot of different subcultures being represented there with a lot of passion behind each of them. Like mm. uh, in the midst of, in the, in the middle of our trip, so there was a uh, gay pride parade, uh, a lot of different gay pride festivals, youth, uh, like gay, gay youth festivals. Um, just a lot of LGBT stuff going on, a lot of, a lot of rainbow flags. Um, is that because you guys were there in June, which is Pride Month? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And we were there in the, the pinnacle of June and culminated to the, the gay pride parade there in D.C. Hmm. So um, then there was a lot of gun control. There was a March for Life going on for, uh, advocating for gun control. Um, hmm. There was uh, uh, things leading up to, for um, Juneteenth going on. There was um, uh, the Roe v. Wade protest and, you know, protest right outside wow. the Supreme Court building. So there was just a lot going on. Yeah, man. Um, and then in the midst of all that, we're leading worship on the National Mall for three, three nights in a row. And so that was it was interesting. Yeah, it's kind of I'm a clash sure, of cultures. Man. Did you guys have any um, interactions with those folks? Like, I know you were there to do ministry and lead worship, but, I mean, mm-hmm. did you have any interaction with other other groups that were there for little other bit. reasons? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, they were mostly cordial. Um, the only time I felt actually physically threatened uh, was when we went to the Supreme Court building. Just the, the, my, my immediate family went. Uh, we went to the Supreme Court building, stood in front of it, and the only thing we knew really to do was just to huddle up as a family and pray for the Supreme Court justices that they be safe, that they, the rule of law, um, you know, have its way, and that yeah. they be they be bold and and courage courageous in their in their convictions. But as we were doing that, there was a woman sitting on the curb about thirty feet away from us, and um, she was already yelling stuff just kind of into the open. But as we walked up, she doubled down on what she was yelling. And as soon as she saw us huddle up and begin to pray, it was she was yelling things at my family that I could not repeat on the like I mean calling us mm. calling us pedophiles. That was that was the probably on the lower end of that's the more PG level of stuff she was wow. screaming at us. Um, so it was it was interesting seeing and allowing my kids to see and be at the forefront of a spiritual battle that is taking place in the United States of America. So yeah, yeah, that was it was definitely tense at that moment. Um, but I'm yeah, sure. just just a lot, um, a lot, a lot of people. I mean, it's the, probably the the busiest and um, just co- most crowded I've ever seen Washington D.C. of all the times I've been there. You know, it's so interesting to me. It almost seems like that's the place where people will go to almost like whatever religion, whatever mm-hmm. whatever idea that you think you're going to find redemption and salvation in. You're going to go and espouse that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you're going to yeah. take a crusade to the capital that is, represents the the marketplace of ideas and kind of where our um, leadership as a nation lives. And whatever idea you've attached yourself to say, this is the hope of mm-hmm. um, humanity or this is the hope of our country, you're going to go to D.C. and espouse that idea and try to do anything, everything you can to persuade mm-hmm. the leaders. And so it's so interesting to just to see that dynamic. I mean, I think for some people – they hold to the fact that gun control is is going to somehow be that salvific idea that that saves our nation. Other people, it's um, you know racial relations. For other people, it's you know women's rights. Uh, and then for some people, it's 
you know, the, the sexual revolution or, you know, LGBTQI activism, like all, all these folks are coming, I think with the same mm-hmm. mentality. And it is, mm-hmm. if everybody gets on board with this idea, then salvation mm-hmm. will come. The kingdom will come, whatever that means in their mind, you know? Yeah. yeah it's so funny how there's this God, there's this God shaped hole in all of us that we're looking mm-hmm. to something to fix us and save us and redeem us. And interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's where people go to find that true validation. So they think, um, yeah. And so we were, we were going to lead worship and just our, our goal as a worship team was just to be present and to worship the one true God in a place that, um, is, is full of confusion. Um, mm. And to, to be just just to be present, and we achieved that. You know, we didn't, yeah. like I said, have a crusade where we had thousands of people coming forward and altar calls and all that. We just sure. our goal was just to be present. And um, but it was it, there was a lot of uh, you know, peripheral benefits that that came along with going and allowing our kids to see and, and experience different cultures and see confusion with their own eyes. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was it was interesting. Man, what was that like? I mean, you've got three sons, mm-hmm. and there's a pride march going on. There's a pride parade, and most of the time, those are not kid-friendly as much as you see pictures of parents bringing their children mm-hmm. as you've got a giant parade float in the shape of a phallus and mm-hmm. men partially nude throwing out um, you know, phallic party favors, and you've got children on the front row of that i mean i've seen videos and pictures of that that's not uncommon mm-hmm. um what was that like i mean did you guys see that it was your your son's exposed to anything, that i mean we didn't see anything to that extent we definitely saw people that were um dressing up as other genders we saw people that were immodest um we saw a lot of just really flamboyant people but nothing pornographic or semi-pornographic thankfully um yeah nothing overly sexualized but yeah that was there we just we just avoided it sure um yeah which which leads me to believe that this is not about it's not about validation it's not about um affirmation of your your gender preference and sexuality this is about um sexual uh license it's about Mm. pleasure um there's a big difference there and not everybody is looking for that not everybody is is um grossly perverse with their sexuality sure. but these parades and these gatherings are quickly becoming that mm. um, and it's kind of wearing thin the upholstery that this is about um, this is about equal rights or this is about affirmation of your sexual preference this is about um, throwing off uh, self-control and this is about self-serving sexual pleasure more than it is anything else mm. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I feel like in the past few, really since 2015, when the SCOTUS ruling came out that um, made legal same-sex marriage in the U.S., we started as a culture going down this kind of warp speed trajectory towards a new understanding of sexuality, a new understanding of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, Pride Month was always, I mean, people would know about it, but it wasn't ever anything that you would see like, you know, Target putting up a rainbow flag or you'd see, you know, Google changing their banner. I mean, it was just kind of, it was there, but it wasn't really like this, um, 
thing that was in your face. And then over mm-hmm. the course of the last, you know, five to seven years, it has quickly become where you, you the month of June almost becomes like, you know, the month of December in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But instead of celebrating the birth of Christ or remembering, um, you know, a holiday season where we're coming together at the end of the year with our families, it's now becoming um, a holiday to mainstream this agenda that any form of sexuality or any identity is now normative and mainstream. And if you can't get with that, you are somehow um, antiquated and you might even be a bigot, mm-hmm. you know. And I think over the past few years, it's it's turned from just being gay or being a lesbian now kind of the big thing that, I mean, you're just hearing everywhere. I mean, you've got to be living under a rock to not be hearing about this is um, the trans movement, transgenderism. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've had so many people talk to me and reach out to me about a documentary that just came out called What is a Woman by uh, Matt Walsh. And Gabe, you and I both watched that over the past few days. Mm-hmm. So give us, in uh, a listener that maybe isn't familiar with that, give them just kind of a, <laughs> I don't know, Cliff Notes version. What is that documentary about? Well, it's just about Matt, Matt Walsh uh, showing his concern for truth and reality because um, he says repeatedly in the film, I want to live in a society that is concerned with truth and that is mm-hmm. that is based on truth and reality. I don't want to live in a society that is based on fantasy um, or mistruth. Um, and so he uses the question, what is a woman to ask and, 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 and probe um, numerous doctors, uh, trans people, um, all the way up to Dr. Phil, um, and asking yeah, people super basically what is a woman and, and filming their response. Um, women's uh, women's rights uh, protests and marches. He's in the middle of it asking those women what is a woman. And all of them, 100% of them, cannot give a clear definition of what a woman is. Hmm. And then it's kind of funny, at the end of the film, um, he goes up to his wife. And <laughs> that part's really funny. <laughs> yeah. His wife is like, a woman is a grown female. And he she hands him a pickle jar, and she's like, and I need help opening this pickle jar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's just a quest for truth and showing and kind of revealing uh, the the relativism and, and sub- subjective qualities of the trans and LG- LGBTQ movement, um, the, the the slippery slope that they're going down basically with this. Well, it's almost showing just to the absurdity <clears throat> that the most obvious question that for millennia we as humans have been able to answer and and mm-hmm. it's just demonstrated just how absolutely absurd and ridiculously confused we are as a culture we can't even answer the most obvious question of humanity yeah like what's a man what's a woman and because we've created some just absolutely bonkers definitions <clears throat> that does not correspond with reality at all mm-hmm. so it becomes a got you moment to ask you just a basic question. Hey, so what is a woman, right? And people say, well, a woman is anybody that says they're a woman. <laughs> okay, so you're using that word, but what does that word mean? Yeah, yeah. And and it really just, like you said, it demonstrates how we have completely um, relativized truth, mm-hmm. that there's no such thing as concrete, concrete reality anymore. Truth is whatever anything I, 
I'd want it to be. Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting documentary, but it, I think um, there's a lot to be said about it, and we're going to get into that today. We're going to talk today about just the transgender movement. We're going to talk today about um, the logic behind the gender ideology movement. So how does someone get there to say that a man can become a woman by saying he's a woman and a woman can become a man by just by saying that she's a man? Um, and hopefully kind of get to the place where we can actually develop some um, a framework to have these conversations constructively. Mm-hmm. Because here's here's my fear. I, I really hope that um, if you saw this episode pop up on your um, your podcast uh, directory or you clicked on this on YouTube, my hope is that you're not listening to this so you can get more um, fodder for your canon. Mm-hmm. So you can go and just be a jerk to somebody and, and you can just absolutely call somebody an idiot or call someone a, a moron. Or maybe you're on the other side of this discussion and maybe you're looking to um, you know, brand this podcast as being bigoted or antiquated or, or whatever. Um, really, my hope is that we could just like put all that aside and let's just talk about reality. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about truth. I believe there is such a thing as truth. It doesn't bend based on um, how you and I feel about it. The law of gravity is there regardless of whether or not I believe in it. And um, let's just have an honest conversation, and my hope is that our hearts can be soft towards people who are in this movement and uh, empathetic towards people who are in this movement because I've known a lot of people that have gotten caught up in this movement. And, um, yeah, we can actually have these conversations coherently but also with compassion. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So let's start with the most basic question. Maybe you've been living under a rock for the past five to seven years and you don't even know what it means to be transgendered. So for a long time, this was called transsexualism. And you hear that used a lot in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You don't really hear that used a lot anymore. Really, the term now you see is trans or transgender. For a long time, this was uh, considered a psychological disorder. Um, It was identified as GID or gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria. But basically it's a feeling that your biological or genetic or physiological sex does not match the gender that you identify with or perceive yourself to be. And so people who identify as trans will often say that they feel like they're trapped in a body that does not match their true selves. So a man might say, I've always felt like a woman on the inside, but I look in the mirror, I'm a man. And so often what will happen is they will practice dressing as a different gender than their biological sex. Um, You know, change the way that they dress and, you know, if it's a man, he might wear makeup or put on a wig or, or wear false breasts. But um, after doing that for a while, often what happens for many in this movement is they will seek hormone therapy and or gender reassignment surgery to, in their words, bring their bodies into conformity with their perceived gender. So this is where, you know, a man starts taking hormones to give him lots of estrogen uh, he starts 
having procedures to give himself breast implants. Um, he has a vaginoplasty, so literally his penis is cut off and reformed into it's it's not even i mean i and forgive us for getting crass but we're just talking about biology it 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 never will be a female sex organ because he can never have children it will essentially be and and i i hope this is not too crass but i mean they're essentially mutilating genitalia to make it appear to be a vagina but it will never be a vagina Mm-hmm. Is that fair enough? I'm trying to be, not be too crass, but that's, <laughs> right, that's essentially yeah. how but it happens. The, yeah, maybe maybe have the physical appearance, but right. definitely never have the functionality of, of a vagina. No. And I don't even know, I mean, again, I don't want to get too crass, but I don't even know how, just even as a sexual organ, how that would even work. Um, I'm sure someone that you know specializes in that could even talk about if, if a man is able, when his member has been removed and reformed to appear as a female organ if he can even feel sexual pleasure down there i don't know um but all that to say i mean this is controversial for that reason because a lot of this is irreversible Mm -hmm. i mean if you get your genitalia completely altered through surgery i mean you can't really walk that back Mm -hmm. so the stakes are pretty high for someone who is seeking to um, undergo gender reassignment surgery. Um, and we'll talk about some of the the risk involved in that, but <clears throat> that's somewhere in the neighborhood of a 67% complication mm-hmm. risk, um, which is pretty significant, pretty significant. And then that's just for, that's just for men, for women. Um, phalloplasty often what happens is they'll take skin from someone's arm or other parts of their body and basically craft a um what appears to be a penis upon a woman but it's not really one um and again i don't know does can it function like a, a male sexual organ i don't know but it's essentially what it is does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I hope we're not being too crass. I'm, forgive me if, if you're listening to this. Don't listen to this with your kids. You can <laughs> skip this one if you get your kids in the car. But mm-hmm. th- this is why this has become such a controversial and um, often emotionally charged subject because, I mean, this is such a serious deal for someone to say, I'm a woman, but I want to be a man, so cut off my breast fashion me a male member from my arm and make me look like a man as much as possible. Give me all these hormones. And now I'm a man. I mean, that's, it just seems so extreme. Hmm. Yeah. It would be, it'd be humorous if it wasn't really happening. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre, bizarre world we're living in. Yeah. And, um, the thing is like, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these these kind of things would have been punchlines in nightclubs, right? Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, this is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you, you probably saw trans flags in the parade you saw in D.C. Mm-hmm. And you see it in, you know, go on Google, and they've changed their banner to a trans flag. I mean, it's... And and the Biden administration has made it very, very clear that 
you know, if the Obama administration's mark was gay rights, LGBTQ rights, the Biden administration has has planted their flag to say they're going to fight for trans rights. So just from like watching TV or being on TikTok or being on Instagram, one would think that trans people represent 10 to 15 percent of the population with how out front this issue has become. But truthfully, only 0.38% of Americans identify as transgender. Hmm. So that means 99.62% aren't. And even though media, Hollywood, online platforms like TikTok, Reddit, Instagram make it seem like this trans movement is normative, if you disagree with this trans movement, you're some backwoods extremist or some dinosaur. As of December, 75% of American adults believe there are only two genders. So <laughs> 63% strongly agree there are only two genders. So like almost the majority, or not almost, the majority of people do not believe the transgender movement, and yet it is in our face. It's being pushed down our throats, even though most people say, I don't agree with I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. It's being presented of, of course this is true, and if you don't believe this is true, you're full of hate. You're some extremist. You're, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I noticed in all the people that um, Matt Walsh interviewed, majority of them, especially there was one he went into a university he didn't say which university it was but it was a it was a, a professor and he was asking you know what is a woman and the professor was you know like looking around and, and was like couldn't really answer the question he goes well, what is everybody else saying yeah. and i was like wow this guy is so scared to try to answer this question and everyone else right. in the film was just really really cowardly to try to answer the question because they were scared that they were going to offend somebody or that they were going to kick a hornet's nest with this community and therefore be, be blacklisted or con- yeah. labeled transphobe or whatever. And it's like, man, everyone's so scared to acknowledge the, the um, inconsistency of this and unsustainability of this ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just so sad. It's just, uh, man, we need, we need courageous people to acknowledge the truth. Well, and I don't know if you've kept up with Dave Chappelle, the stand-up mm-hmm. comedian. Um, yeah. he, he's not a person of faith. He's not conservative at all. He is not in any way somebody who could be seen as a moral authority for anything. He's just a stand-up comedian. But he's pointed out how absurd some of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. And that dude has been just absolutely... Been hammered. Oh, man. I mean, he can't get off the hook for it. Yeah. Um, not just him. I mean, guys like Bill Barr and... Um, I believe Bill Maurer has said some things about the trans movement and it has become this thing of if you look at this and say, I don't understand this and this does not make sense. And I don't Mm -hmm. think the things you're saying are true. I mean, you, you become subject to the wrath of this sexual identity movement to say that you cannot question what we're telling you. Mm -hmm. You, you have to go along. You have to agree and even, I mean, a lot of people question this are not Christians. They're not conservatives. Mm-hmm. They're just people that are going, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem like it, it's congruent with reality. And those people are um, subject to the wrath of this movement as well. 
Yeah. So Jordan, um, Jordan Peterson, case in point, his yeah. life is just about ruined over all of this just because he's, oh, he's refusing to acknowledge this. And he's an interesting one because he's in Canada, mm-hmm. and Canada has said that if you misgender somebody, if you call them by the wrong pronoun, then you're guilty of assault mm-hmm. or some form of violence against them. So you could be charged yep. in a criminal court, which is just crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so Jordan Peterson has, you know, said that no, like that's not that's not the making of a free society to say that you're going to censor someone's speech, you're going to be a, a you know a thought police. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, here's the problem like even though most people 75% of American adults that's of December 2021 75% of American adults look at this and say this is absurd there's not 72 genders there's not infinite number of genders there's men there's women the upcoming generation has seen being trans as a very cool thing so it's become a way of giving someone value, of giving someone mystique, of making somebody special, of providing them with a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood is pushing the, this agenda very, 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 very heavily. Um, a lot of different movies have come out over the past five to ten years about um, transgenderism. And there is almost this like social contagion element to this. Mm-hmm. So if you live on TikTok or if you live on Reddit and you live on Instagram and all of your community is found in those places, the only people that you're going to interact with are people that the algorithm wants you to see, which are people that agree with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you're a 12-year-old or 13-year-old and you're feeling uncomfortable and awkward in your body and you're struggling with your sexuality, but you don't have many in-person relationships, but man, you're on social media all the time. Yeah. You're going to think that everybody in the world thinks that the trans movement is awesome and that it's normative. And mm-hmm. anybody that disagrees with you is some dinosaur, some backwoods extremist, or, you, you know, they just don't understand what's really going on. And people are now gaining a, a sense of self worth from identifying with kind of this whatever new sexual identity that you can come up with and this morning i was reading the 72 different sexual identities and some of them are just outright bizarre there's one called uh astral gender and that is you identify Mm. your gender with space Mm. so i don't even know what that means so i find my gender through thinking about space i mean what (laughs) what does that mean am i an astronaut that's my gender i but it can be i mean according to this and we'll get into this you can be anything you want to be your identity sexually is anything you say it is, and I have to go along with it if you say that because um, to not go along with that is to somehow commit microviolence against you. Yeah. Well, it just, you know, you look at the uh, the gay the gay pride flag. It was just a rainbow, right, just like five, right. ten years ago. Um, I noticed this all over D.C. last week. Um, it's grown in colors, and... Mm-hmm. To the point where they're they're running out of room on this flag. <laughs> yeah, it's got like all the colors of the rainbow. It's got white, pink, teal, blue, brown, black, yellow, and then there's like a a purple circle inside the yellow triangle. And it's like, at what point are we going to say, okay, <laughs> listen, th- there's a lot of different. And you look up all these different colors, and it's like, wow, 
they and they call it now the progressive pride flag. But it's like, wow, like this is you're trying so hard to make sure that every possible scenario is represented on this piece of fabric. You're so scared that you're going to leave someone off of this thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like that's that is in a nutshell uh, a a microcosm of the United States of America that yeah Target is so focused on having that virtue signaling thing but they're like oh wait we gotta include this and we gotta include that and it's right. like before you know right. it's like the, the minivan that has all the ribbons on the back you know right 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 it's like every possible thing that you could support it's there you know yeah it's and like, if, why don't and we just agree that we're all humans and we should give each other respect and dignity you know right well and, and as a culture even though it seems like like holy cow we are in a place we have never been before how did we get here hmm. um we've kind of set ourselves up for this for a long time. I'd say the past 100 years we've kind of set ourselves up for this. Mm. We're just seeing, I think, now the fruit of philosophical and moral um, foundations that we laid about 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think where it all really starts, and I think you see this a lot in the Matt Walsh documentary, there's there's this part in the Matt Walsh documentary. I don't know if you know this or not, Gabe. He's interviewing this college professor, and this professor goes, "Well, why do you care so much?" Mm. And mm-hmm. Matt Walsh says, "I care about the truth." Mm-hmm. And this professor said this phrase, and I just think this is so indicative of where we've arrived in the culture. He said, "Invoking the word truth is condescending and rude." Mm. Yeah, and that's that is like. Okay, that's that's how we got to where we got. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because we've created this idea that truth is a completely relative term. So one of the phrases that I've heard thrown out by so many people recently is live your truth. Just live your truth, man. Mm-hmm. So the word truth no longer means that which corresponds to reality. And now the word truth means that which I accept is preferable to the reality that I want to create. Yeah. And and so when I say the word truth, it means nothing. Because if I say I care about the truth, I care about something that corresponds with reality, that challenges the idea that truth is a completely fluid construct. Does that make sense? Yeah. Here's here's lithromantic is something that is a thing now. Is a lithromantic. romantic lithromantic. It's a romantic orientation on the aromantic aromantic spectrum. Lithromanticism describes romantic attraction without the desire for reciprocation. Lithromantic experiences may include feeling romantic attraction that fades upon being reciprocated. So wait a second. You're attracted to someone but then that until they just, like you back until they like you back and then you <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. yeah. like I, last i checked that was just being an a hole like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah 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 it's so bizarre but i so here's what we said too not only truth is relative so i can be lithromantic and that's my truth right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've also said that the key to personal happiness and the key to um you know individual flourishing is my feelings being publicly expressed and validated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So me being happy, that's salvation. Yeah. Redemption, salvation, 
the quest that I am searching for to fix every single thing in my life is me having personal happiness and define personal happiness. I have to publicly express my feelings because I am my feelings. Mm. And so if you interfere with my personal happiness, that is very, 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 very bad. Yeah. If you are not complicit in validating my feelings, if you're not complicit in validating my personal happiness, you are guilty of micro-violence against me, of mm-hmm. oppressing me, of suppressing me, of preventing me from having that thing that is going to save me, is going to fix me, mm. right? And so we have created this practical Savior. We've created this Messiah out of gender affirmation. So if you feel awkward and you feel uncomfortable in your body, all you have to do is identify as a different gender, and you'll fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it becomes even more um, dangerous when we say, okay, not only that, you need to medically transition, and then you'll fit in. And so this has become salvific in the lives of many teens, many adolescents, many young adults who are struggling in this sexuality. And I would just say just struggling in life. They've got anxiety. They've got depression. They've got suicidal ideations. They feel isolated. They feel alone. And so what they're being told is, you know what's going to fix all your problems? You finding a gender and you identifying as it, and then you getting everybody around you to affirm you in that. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to get fixed. Yeah. And all I... that's <laughs> – go ahead. I was just going to say, it seems like in, in history, civilizations reach this point where they don't have to struggle for survival. Yeah. And they're not living day by day wondering where their next calories are going to come from. Right. Or wondering when the when the village, neighboring village is going to attack them and, you know, steal all their women or whatever. It's it, Or what is a woman? They can't steal a woman if they don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> They're not <Once>, scientists. <laughs> when civilizations reach this point, the point that we're at, I think, where we have yeah. ample calories, ample free time, and then very little uh, eternal meaning attached to our right. existence and identity attached to our existence. It seems like humans then find these things which give have to they have to create this synthetic meaning this synthetic struggle this synthetic suffering and it's like a lot of this can be boiled down to we we washed the notion of a creator out of our society out of our collective our collective memory and 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 thought process and then we have too many calories and too much free time Really, it's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. I mean, if you study the, the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. uh, many people point to the Colosseums as simply um, the canary in the coal mine to say that the Roman Empire was on its way down because mm. people had to, there were no more wars to fight, right? I mean, Rome mm. dominated the whole world. Everything was great. Everybody was prosperous. You didn't have to really work that hard. So, what did you do? You went to a Roman bathhouse to have casual sex, whatever you wanted. Mm hmm. And you would go to the Colosseum to watch people murder each other for entertainment. Mm. And uh, because you didn't have any real challenges, you didn't have any re- So sex became a, you know, a god in and of itself mm-hmm. that you just kind of look to, to to fix whatever was broken on the inside of you. And then violence and entertainment, those things became, you know, things that you look to to entertain yourself and kind of distract you from the, the dullness and the um, the emptiness of life without God. <laughs> mm, yeah. And we're seeing the same thing. Um, 
you know, pornography and violence in media and the confusion related around sexuality, it is basically that which we saw in the fall of Rome. Mm. We're there. Mm-hmm. And it all goes back to what you said. We're, we, we don't have to fight to survive. We don't have to really want for anything right now. And so we've got all this time. I mean, you know, sure, we got plenty of time to sit and go through the 72 genders and figure out which one we are, right? So that's kind of how we got here because we've eroded at this idea of truth. But kind of logically, like what does this movement teach? How does this movement kind of peddle these ideas and hold on to these ideas as somehow congruent with um, biology and sociology? So this movement rises and falls on one central premise and and it's a very sacred premise that you best not challenge and it's the idea that gender and sex are two completely different constructs i'll say it again gender and sex are two completely different constructs um they might be deeply intertwined and related with another one another but altogether at the end of the day they're separate Hmm. that the gender ideology movement teaches sex is a biological construct that's unchanging. It's based on your chromosomes. You're either male or female. But gender is a social construct or category. It's a perception. It's a feeling. It's a way of identifying. It's very subjective. It's really more of an experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a <laughs> this is so crazy. It's a very um, – people will go to all these different lengths to use words like you know, psychosomatic and, and sociological and psychological. But really when you boil all that away, what they're saying is this. Gender is how you feel. It's your feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So you use as many words as you want to dress it up, but really that's what it comes down to. Gender is how you feel. Yeah. And, and gender uh, – for millennia has been understood as binary. There's male, there's female, but now it's emerged as kind of a continuum mm-hmm. and, and you can identify yourself on that continuum anywhere you want. So there are, I mean, if you open up the door of possibility, you, you see now that continuum can just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Right. So some say there's an infinite number of genders. Um, yeah. Some say there's as few as 72. Some say there's several hundred. Um, but basically, according to the gender ideology movement, because gender is a subjective perception, it's basically anything that you feel that you are. And everyone else must acquiesce and go along with how that person feels about whatever gender they identify as. Yeah. And that extends into the, the realm of what species you are. Right. What type of organism you are. Right. Yeah, a queer identity is uh, people identifying as, as cats and as wolves. Mm. And if you think that's bizarre and far-fetched, it's not. That's considered a queer identity. Yeah. Oh, no, it's... it's. I mean, he's featured it in the film, the guy who believed yeah. that he was a wolf. But mm-hmm. also, I mean, like, I have, I have a friend who is in the military. He has And he thinks a, he's a wolf? <laughs> he <laughs> has a soldier under his command who identifies as a dragon. Mm. And in his... Can he breathe fire? 
Because that would be helpful. I don't know. But he cannot speak otherwise against, like, as as this individual's superior, he cannot refer to him anything other than a dragon. And he is allowed to keep... <laughs> he has his room on, like, set on, like, 90 degrees because he believes that he is cold-blooded. And so uh-huh. his do- in his dormitory in the barracks, like... His roommate hates it because, you know, he never turns the AC down in the recording. It's, that's, people would think, well, that's kind of fringy. You're taking from, like, you know, some really extreme examples. No, that's – when you go down that logic right. train of thought, you have to go there and you have to accept that. You cannot deny that. Does he have at like least how, a, a cool name? Is it, like, Corporal Dragon or Corporal Smog or – I don't know. Corporal uh, Elliot, like, you know, from Peace I'll Dragon? Ask him. I'll report back on that. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, Matt Walsh asked that in the film. He's like well, – am I a black man? And the woman was like, you don't know. You're clearly not a black man. And he's like, well, I feel, what if I feel like a black man? Would you say that? Would you agree? Would you affirm that? You know? And she's like, well, no, because people are wrong about how they feel sometimes. It's just like, duh, you know, it's obviously. Yeah. So here's where, here's where this gets, here's where this gets troublesome, right? Cause there's so many people within this movement that are like, look, you're cisgendered, you're white, you're male, you're married. Mm-hmm. Why do you care so much about trans teens or why do you care so much about, you know, trans women, trans men? You let them do what they want to do. You let them pursue their own version of happiness. Mm-hmm. Here's why this matters. Many people within the transgender movement are pushing for complete equality in all aspects. As in, if a man identifies as a woman, he should be allowed to use the women's restroom or locker room. Yeah. If a man identifies as a woman, just because he says he is, he should be allowed to compete in women's sports. If a man identifies as a woman, then everyone in the workplace has to refer to that man who was dressed up as a woman as a female. And if they don't, they're going to get fired. And and so, like, what we're, what we're starting to do is we're starting to mandate within the culture that everyone goes along with this person's delusion. This person thinks they're a dragon. Everyone must play along with it. And if you don't play along with it, we're going to punish you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you question it, you're transphobic. If you question it, you're bigoted. If you question it, you hate people and you hate people being happy. And if you ask questions or you raise concerns or you go, I don't understand or I kind of disagree well, then you hate somebody struggling with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And so everyone in society has to conform to whatever a person claims that they are because, again, truth is a completely subjective construct. R- reality isn't concrete. You know, that person thinks they're a dragon. Well, who am I to say that they're not, right? Well, reality says they're not. They can't fly or breathe fire, right? Yeah. But within this mindset reality isn't concrete it's it's completely fluid and and it doesn't take someone to be very smart to just kind of step back and go man the emperor has no clothes this isn't true um yeah so that's why that matters it's not that we anyone that talks about this or, or thinks about it it just hates people with gender dysphoria it's that like man as a culture as a society this has drastic implications huge implications yeah and it seems like the trans movement of 10 years ago was like i want to self-identify as this gender 
leave me alone. Let me do that. Give me the right. freedom to do right, that. Right, right, and everyone right. was like, that's totally fine. That's sure. You know, you, that, that was, that was Caitlin, you. Caitlin Jenner, right? Right. Right. That's kind of like a different breed of like a different 100%. era of that. Yeah. And now it's turned into this, um, this almost neo-fascist, you have to affirm, like you just said, you have to do this. Otherwise you're going to get canceled. Your entire life will be yeah. over. And eventually this will be coupled with our very existence. And Josh and Gabe, we will have we will have a digital avatar with an ESG score, with our bank account, with all this other stuff and our ability to travel and move around freely around the country. It'll all be tethered together into a package. And what we say on the interwebs <laughs> could be used to help cancel and literally turn off aspects of our very existence. Mm. And that's why I care because sure. that's not that's not love and equality. That's called fascism, and yeah. I'm opposed to fascism. Yeah. So I think a big question, because many people espousing the gender ideology movement will speak about, hey, gender and sex are two different things. Everybody knows that. And they will point to that as a foregone conclusion. Like that's been accepted in social scientists work for a long time. Right. And if you don't know that you're a friggin' idiot, right? Everybody knows sex and gender are different. Come on. But the reality is that has never been, um, that has never been an accepted fact of science or sociology until honestly, only a few decades ago. And so where it started was the work of a guy, his name was Alfred Kinsey. Mm. And a lot of people say that he was probably the father of the modern gender ideology movement. Um, Alfred Kinsey, I've been reading a lot about this guy. He's a very interesting figure. He was raised Methodist. His parents were very, very devout Christians. Um, He came out as an agnostic and atheist as a young man. Um, and uh, he really, I think, had a bone to pick with Judeo-Christian values, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when it came to sexuality. Um, he identified as a bisexual. He and his wife had an open marriage, so they agreed that they could have sex with whoever they wanted. Um, he became a sexologist, and he conducted research. Um, often his research was him having sex with his assistants, both men and women, and filming it in his attic. And he would call it research, so he would, you know, justify it, basically. And his idea was that um, people are sexual from the time they're born. And according to him, true happiness comes about from embracing kind of this lifestyle of sexual experimentation and perversity without any boundaries. Um, No matter the age, no matter the social boundary. Um, He wrote in the 1930s, and delivered lectures where he basically, you know, there was a, an understanding of something called delayed marriage of you don't have sex until you're married. You don't have sex until you're an adult. And he kind of, he said that was actually dangerous to wait till you're an adult to have sex. Wow. Um, he actually would write about, it's a very, I mean, it's just disgusting. Some of the, the research he conducted where he talked about, um, and I, again, this is very crass, but I mean, this tells you kind of where this ideology started. Uh, 
children having orgasms. He wrote about that. And all of that he got from doing research with registered sex offenders and child molesters. Mm. So literally interviewing them about their experiences molesting children and and recording that as some sort of fascinating thing about the sexual development of children who were being sexually abused. And so he created the Kinsey scale, which basically said that your gender, um, you know, six on the Kinsey scale is um, homosexual, zero on the Kinsey scale is heterosexual, and all of us fall within that, right? And so he was kind of the first one to start saying, hey, gender is, is fluid. Um, and, and his work wasn't around till the 1950s. So anyone that says, like, of course, we've known about, you know, gender and sex is two different things for a long time. No, we haven't. Um, Alfred Kinsey was also, I mean, later found out his his research was highly suspect. It was later found to be quite fraudulent. Mm. In the world of social sciences, he's one of the most controversial figures out there. Um, and then the one who really coined the phrase gender ideology was a guy named John Money. He was Eddie Money's brother. Um, that, that's that's not real. That's a joke. He didn't have two tickets to paradise. He had two tickets to no. the research lab at John Hopkins University. Two tickets University. to hell. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he came up with the term gender identity and gender roles. It's kind of his contribution to social sciences. And according to John Money, babies are born gender neutral. And it's environment that determines gender. So for a long time in the social sciences, there was the debate between is it nature or nurture that determines who someone is, right? And John Money said, hey, 100% nurture, that environment is responsible for shaping gender. It's not biology. And so a boy that's raised as a girl would do just fine. And here's where it gets sick. He tried out his theory on a set of twins. So there was a set of twin boys. One of them had a botched circumcision. And so what John Money did is is John Money approached the parents and said, hey, we're going to try this. This is going to be this great experiment. It's going to help a lot of people for a long time. They took that little baby boy who had a botched circumcision and gave him a gender reassignment surgery. And they raised this one boy as a girl, and the other one was raised as a boy. And they conducted all sorts of experiments on these two children that were, I mean, honestly, they could classify as child abuse. Mm-hmm. And the results of this, you know, to basically determine if John's money, John Money's theory was correct and that his theory was this, gender and sex are two different things. That was his theory. The results were a disaster. Mm-hmm. The twin that was reassigned as a girl reported feeling miserable and unhappy his whole life. He wanted to play with trucks. He wanted to play with baseballs. He wanted to wrestle, but he was thought he was a girl. His parents eventually told him the truth. He started living as a man again, but again, he was a man that had a, a vagina. And so one of those twins died of an overdose at 38. The other one committed suicide two years later. That's tragic. Yeah, so... All of this is accepted <laughs> realities of social science, that sex and gender are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. But the truth is, these are exceptionally new ideas that aren't really based in anything other than 
the desire for these things to be so. Which is the opposite of science. That's, that's not scientific at all. To start with this premise, hey, I think gender and sex are two different things. Let's test out this concept. And then it doesn't work. And then that research gets silenced and shut off. And no, don't worry about that. We're just going to keep saying this, even though there's literally no evidence that these things are so. We're going to keep peddling this as reality. I mean, that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, Gabe, why does this matter so much? Well, because the truth is everything. I mean, you can't have a you can't have a civilization without truth and without a common understanding of what reality and truth is and the basis of it all. And not that I, you know, obviously I love our nation, and but it's, that's not the be all end all. I care about truth hmm. because I believe, like Scripture says that truth is what sets us free. And we have, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve and the exile from the garden, been looking for a way to get back into it. And we will force our way into what we think might be the garden, but it leaves us completely hopeless and and, in a worse shape than we were before. Um, And I see this as another means through which humanity is trying to force its way into the garden. When hmm. Christ says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And I care because there is a lot of lost, confused individuals who are being drawn into this community, into this this um, this world that um, that are being set up for, for deep um, loss, deep um, depression, um, self-hurt. Um, I think we're we're entering some really uncharted, really dangerous waters with this stuff. Absolutely. Well, I just think about Romans 1. Mm-hmm. This is what Paul wrote about humanity, and he was in the city of Rome, or at least thinking about the city of Rome. He's probably in the city of Corinth when he wrote the book of Romans, but he was thinking about the Roman Empire. He said this, um, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. And I think verse 24 is significant. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded. So, I mean, I, I see this as a, as a society, the direction that we're moving, and it all starts with the rejection of the idea of truth. Mm-hmm. And what God's Word says is that professing to be wise, we become fools. Anytime we look at our own ideas and we profess that is the pinnacle of wisdom, and we reject the truth of God, God delivers us over to, you know, the phrase in Romans is senseless hearts that get darkened, our thinking becomes worthless. Like we're not even thinking clearly. Like God delivers us over to, um, other translations say a delusion. Mm -hmm. Like we believe things that are false. 
And it all starts with us rejecting the truth of God. And so God's like, all right, have it your way. You think you're so smart. This is where the wisdom of man leads us. Yeah. It's sad. I care because I, I care for these people too. Yeah. And I think one of the most loving things you can do for a person is to lovingly tell them truth and speak truth into their life. Mm-hmm. And one of the most selfish and unloving things you can do is enable them in their dysfunction or dysphoria or affirm their mental illness or whatever yeah. without really helping them seek healing. Yeah. And at the root of all this is admittedly uh, sin, but second to that is uh, men and fathers failing. Yeah. Um, I really feel there is a deep connection between gender dysphoria and a very negative encounter with a man. Absolutely. Um, well, and, yeah. and too, like something I'll say, I don't think it's straight, white, cis males that are the victims here. I don't think mm-hmm. it's guys like Gabe and I that are the victims. And if you've listened to this and you're going, oh, you guys just think you're the victims. I don't think we're the victims. I think the victims are the individuals with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones being victimized by this lie. Because medical transitioning via surgery or hormone therapy is big business. Mm-hmm. for medical providers and pharmaceutical companies. Huge business. And there is a growing... There is a, a growing market for children and for adolescents who say, I think that I'm a woman and you're as young as six, seven, eight years old being given medical transition therapy. And then that's purely experimental. We don't have research to know like what is the long-term effects on things like hormone blockers and puberty blockers. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly every study that says medical transition is beneficial for adolescents and children, every study has been retracted. Mm-hmm. Um Seven to ten years after a medical transition is when trans individuals are at the highest risk of suicide. Mm. And we mentioned this in the front of the episode, a, a, a bottom surgery that's a phalloplasty or a vaginoplasty it has a complication rate of 67%. Like these are risky surgeries where people develop infections, where people's bodies are being carved up and mutilated. And this is being presented as the solution to the anxiety and the depression and the loneliness and the dissociative feelings that these children as young as 11, 12, 13 years old, let's give you a surgery that mutilates your genitalia, has a complication rate of 67%. Let's put you on chemicals that have been proven to cause osteoporosis, to stunt your growth, to cause sterilization. Let's put you on on drugs that have been used to chemically castrate sex offenders. Mm. And that's going to fix you. That's going to save you. So, so tell me, who is the real victim here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a reason to care, not to demonize or, or you know, say these people are, are awful. I just, man, I think these, 
individuals are lost and they're hurting and they've been sold this lie that like salvation for them is go through a surgery, take drugs. And that's a reason to care, I think. Mm-hmm. Man. So, Gabe, like, wrapping up as we land the plane, like, if you had somebody in your church come to you and say, Pastor Gabe, I am struggling with this thing called gender dysphoria. Um, I feel like I am a different gender than the one that I was born as. Mm-hmm. I was born as a man. Look in the mirror. That doesn't feel like who I am on the inside. I feel like I'm a female. What would you say to them as a pastor and as a believer? Well, I would validate those feelings because those feelings are probably real. But um, their anatomy is going to dictate what gender they are, what sex they are. Those two terms are completely inseparable. But I would I would befriend that person. I would get to know them. I would um, grow in my relationship with them to the point where I could learn um, what it is, what what has what has caused this. Um, I believe uh, mental disorder and imbalance in their life um, and work through some of the pain and the trauma that they more than likely have experienced in their life. Mm. Um, but no, I wouldn't, I would not affirm obviously uh, that they are a, a, a gender that their chromosomes say they are not right because that's mistruth and I'm going to speak truth in a loving way but pull them close um, and counsel them, be there for them, and listen. Yeah. Well, what does the Bible say about this idea that there's numerous genders, sex and gender are different? I mean, is there any Bible verses <laughs> that would say this is okay for us to think that, or is this okay for us to go along with that? No. Uh, the Bible is very clear that God created two genders. Uh, Genesis 127, you know, male and female, he created and, mm-hmm. you know, to to speculate or to say otherwise that there is more than those two is unbiblical. It's untrue, first of all, just on a scientific right. and biological level. And it's doing a great injustice to that person and to the Word of God. Yeah. So really the closest thing we have is, you know, the Bible condemns homosexuality on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. But Deuteronomy 22.5 um, actually condemns someone that is a man dressing up as a woman or someone as a woman dressing up as a man. Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty strong condemnation in the Scriptures for someone choosing to identify as a gender that they were not created to be. Um, and there's really, and other people will often say, well, what about gender, you know, somebody's born intersex, right? Somebody's born as a hermaphrodite. They're born with mm-hmm. both sexual organs. There's really no mention of that in the Bible. Um, that's that's a very, very small percentage of the population that might have that mutation. Um, and that's not really related to, uh, you know, what the Bible talks about 
in terms of us being created in the image and likeness of God, male and female. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the end, people that have situations like this, it might have a genetic cause. It might have a hormonal cause. It might have a physiological cause. It might have a psychological cause. It might even have a spiritual cause. So we need to be really sensitive and caring about it. But in the end, it doesn't really matter what cause it it comes from. It can be overcome and healed through faith in Christ and continue reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Like every one of us, we have our own set of burdens and brokenness that we were born into because we were born into sin. Hmm. And so the whole argument, well, I was born this way, well... Yeah, maybe, but like you, you've got to be born again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like, I never asked to have a desire to to look at women that weren't my wife with their clothes off. Mm-hmm. I know that's wrong. The Bible says that's wrong. Yeah. I never asked for that desire, but still, I had that desire. And I should not affirm that desire in you, right? And say, well, you must, you were born that way. Oh, okay, so. Therefore, you can continue with that activity. What kind of brother in Christ would you be to me if I came to you and said, hey, man, I really just, I really want, and everything in me just wants to look at women who are not my wife with their clothes off. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel on the inside. That's what really I desire. And I feel like repressing that desire, it doesn't feel true to myself. If you were to look at me as a brother in Christ and be like, dude, Josh, man, you just need to go with that. That's who you are. God still loves you. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. what? I mean, that, that could cause untold destruction in my life, spiritually, emotionally, in my marriage, in my family, to me as a person, if you just went along with it and affirmed me in that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, First Corinthians 6.11 says this. Paul has just gotten done listing all of the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's a pretty indicting list. As a matter of fact, I think we all are on that list to some extent. Hmm. And I'll read that list if, if you've never read that list. He says, um, he says, no sexually immoral people, that's anybody that's ever looked at porn, had sex outside of marriage, had a lustful thought, no idolaters, anybody that's ever put anything in the place of God in their life, so anybody that's ever worshipped their sports team or their car or their house or their money, no adulterers, nor homosexuals, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So like if we're being honest with ourselves and not self-righteous, every one of us are on that list at some point. Mm. And this is what he says in verse 11. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, Mm. you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the spirit, by the Spirit of our God. So, like, here's the message of Christianity. It is not God loves you in your brokenness so much that he wants you to stay in your brokenness. Yeah. It is that God loves you no matter your brokenness, no matter if you are a sex offender that's, you know, in prison, you're an adulterer, you're cheating on your taxes, you're transgendered, you're homosexual, you're a lesbian. He loves you, man. He loves you. He, he sent his son for you, but he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to wash you. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to justify you in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Mm. 
And so as Christians, if we just like look at people in their brokenness and go, man, just stay in your brokenness. God loves you. That's not loving at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's the opposite. I mean, it's just selfish. Yeah. And I would say often for many Christians, it's just cowardice. We're just acquiescing to a culture that is anti-gospel, and that's why we fall into that. Not because we truly believe the gospel, not because we truly love people. We're just cowards. We're cowards. We don't want to stand for the truth. So we're going to create this really soft, fuddy-duddy distortion of the gospel that enables people to stay in brokenness without preaching the good news of God's forgiveness available in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So... Well, Josh, do I have your, your blessing to tell a quick story to end today's episode? Absolutely. I bless you, my brother. If you end listened, on a lighter note. If you've listened this long, you deserve a story. You do deserve a story. Yeah. <laughs> so about three weeks ago, I found a knife across the street from my neighborhood near a little duck pond. And I found this pocket knife laying on the ground. And it was a nice pocket knife. And I picked it up and I said, well, if I leave it here, someone else is just going to walk off with it. So I folded it up and put it in my pocket. I came back and left a laminated card that I had made saying, if you lost your knife at this spot, call me at this number and describe the knife, and I will bring it out to you and give it to you. And I put a rock on top of the card so it wouldn't blow in the wind. Wow. Three that's weeks like, go by. That's like Hardy Brothers stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Hardy Three, Boys, not Hardy Brothers. Well, I just couldn't in good yeah. conscience you know, keep this knife without doing what I do. Absolutely. Three weeks go by, nothing. Then my phone rings randomly. As I'm driving out of our neighborhood, and approaching this very pond where I found this knife. So my phone rings, and it was very odd for me to answer a number I didn't recognize, but Stacy answered it for me, and she answered and put it on speaker. And on the other line was a, sounded to be a, a, a young boy, about 13 years old, and he said, hey, um, I lost my knife, and I just found this card sitting next to the pond, and I wanted to call and see if I could get my knife back. So I picked, I grabbed the phone from Stacy, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I, I found the knife. Um, do you want to try to describe it to me? And I'll, you know, I, I can actually run it over to you real quick right now. And he goes, yeah, um, the knife looks like my, and he said, described a certain part of his anatomy what? In, in a certain part of my anatomy. What? Meanwhile, I have the family in the car and he's on oh, speakerphone no. and he's using these expletives and it quickly dawns on me that I have been prank called by someone who found this card oh, on the side no. of this pond. But I am quickly driving towards this pond to the very spot where I left this card. And this kid is standing there looking down at the ground, looking at this card as I'm driving up to this very spot. Is he by himself? He has a friend with him. Of course he does, yeah. Yeah. So I'm driving up to – I can see two kids, one of which is on their phone, and he's staring down at this card with my phone number on it. And I park the car across the street, and I'm on the phone with him, and I'm asking him, I'm stalling, basically. And I say to him, hey, tell your friend next to you with the red hat on that I like his hat. And he stops and looks, and I'm looking at him, and he looks up, <laughs> and he immediately starts spinning around, looking to see where I am. And he starts to take off running, but he runs towards me, not knowing that I'm the one on the phone with him. And I run across the street to meet him. And so mm-hmm. the one, one, his friend runs the opposite direction, and I run up to him, and I say I, – I end the phone call, obviously. And I, I run up to him, and I stop him in his tracks, and 
lo and behold, he is a boy that I recognize as a student in the school I taught at. Oh, no. And I said, oh, I said his name. No. Let's just call him Mike. I said, Mike. I was like, you just picked the wrong person at the wrong time to prank call my friend. I said, you know better than to use that kind of language. How dare you call me and say those kinds of things when I'm trying to find the owner of a knife? And I said, don't worry. Your parents will hear, will hear all about this. Oh, man. The, this kid's face went pale. I mean, the horror on his face. I wish I took a picture of it. It was just Oh, priceless. my goodness. But, like, I was thinking about, it, like, what are the odds that, number one, he would call me as yeah. I'm approaching that very spot where he is calling me from? Yeah. And then, number two, that be I a kid knew you knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know his parents. Wow. Like, it's just bizarre. Oh, man. So, anyways, your sin That's will find you out. Absolutely. Story. Do you know what we need to be grateful for? All those prank calls we made in college. That Ugh. we never, we never got uh, busted like that, you know. Although I don't remember us using language like that. No, we wouldn't have used language no. like that. It was, it was pretty. We fake. did have some very uh, interesting personas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of yours was Phil O'Connor. Phil O'Connor, yeah, yeah. Phil O'Connor was one of Gabe's personas. Oh gosh. And uh, we would prank call people because Southeastern College, where Gabe is representing our alma mater, wearing a Southeastern Fire shirt right now, they had um, a phone system where you could just dial the number of somebody's dorm room and so we had a lot of fun with that as one can imagine when you're mm. 18 19 years old so yeah just glad should, that didn't happen should we should some of the stories in a future <laughs> episode hey everybody thanks so much for listening uh man this is a really big topic here's what i'd mm-hmm. implore you to do please approach this topic with grace if we didn't get anything if we if we got something wrong through here or you felt like man our approach was off on that um man please let us know like, this is an emotionally charged topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, the stakes are really high for us getting this right as the church right now. So please approach this topic with grace, especially if you know someone that is struggling with gender dysphoria. Please have grace on them. Love them. Mm. Pray for them. Love them as a person, regardless of their struggle. And, um, man, let's just keep speaking truth and grace. Truth and grace we can have both we don't have to pick which one we have we can show both so thank you guys for listening and uh we'll see you guys next time well thanks for listening that's our show if you like what you've heard make sure to give us a share leave us a review or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com